It all starts with a moment. And before we know it, a whole new set of moments appear. You know the ones, moving back and forth from, ah, oh, so cute, to, ah, oh, not again, and again, and again. I know you know. The feelings stay, but the calendar changes, and we wonder, how did they get so big? Exchanging nap times for screen time, battling over five more minutes, five more dollars, more, more, more. Where do I even go to get more? When is it ever less? But the moments, they're coming faster now. Will it ever slow down? Before we can catch up, long days become long nights as we wait up and we wonder and we wish. Maybe we said that differently, asked a better question, gave some better advice. Is it true that, th that they could be? Are they doing that with them? What should I say about, you know, how are they doing really? Soon we trade out name tags of mom and dad for Lyft and Uber. Sit-down dinners become drive-through throwdowns. The stakes are higher. How is it moving so quickly? We knew we'd never be ready, but here we are. And sometimes we know we just need a little bit of help. For all the questions they've asked us, we've got a few of our own, starting with, what do we do next? Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Parent Weekend. We're really glad to have you here. Welcome, Homer Glenn and New Lennox and all of you online. I, I, so here's how it went for me as a part of the younger generation back in, in, in my day, okay? I have this vivid memory of uh, riding in my buddy's car on the way to high school at Enid, Oklahoma. Enid High School Plainsman, okay? That was us. And, um, and hearing the Doobie Brothers song, I got my vintage Doobie Brothers shirt here I bought off of Etsy and didn't have time to wash it, so it still smells like that guy I bought it from. Um, <laughs> and I heard the Doobie Brothers song, Jesus is Just All Right With Me. I don't know why the Doobies did this song. I don't know anything about the background of it, but, but we were on our way to school, and, and I literally had a God moment with the Doobie Brothers. I'm in the back of this Mustang with three other guys in the car. Must have, it must have been 1975. And, and if you don't know, the doobies were named for an illegal substance at the time, okay? If you're not hip with the, you know, with the terms. Um, and if you're a teenager today, can I just say that by, by the time you get old like me, life will have blown your mind, okay? I had never could have imagined that I was going to be a pastor back in 1975 or that I would live most of my adult life in Chicagoland or that Mary Jane would be legal someday. So, you know, it's just crazy. <laughs> Anyway, my buddies that I rode to school with weren't really believers. They, they, they really weren't involved with God at all. And I heard this song, and I had this epiphany. And I can tell you for certain, because I don't think there's another thing I remember from 1975, but I remember where I was sitting in the car. I remember where we were on what road as this song came on. And it, it was honestly as plain as a burning bush for me, Okay. So the Doobie Brothers were a part of my call to ministry. That's what I'm saying. Because it was at that moment that the disconnect between the church and my life became obvious. Because I had this thought. I thought, man, what if I could get a band together and do a Doobie Brothers song at church? Okay? And of course, you know, I would be in that band, right? Because I had a bass guitar that I literally got from Sears catalog for Christmas. 
And I know some of you young people don't even know what a catalog is, let alone Sears. And I thought, if I could learn the bass part, get some guys, and we could do that Doobie Brothers song at church, maybe they could find Jesus. Literally, that was my burning bush. Because I knew that they would have an easier time finding Jesus than if they actually came to my church and we were singing hymns, okay? Like, you know, like Holy, 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 which is still one of my favorite hymns, but verse 2 says, who wert and art and evermore shall be, and the cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, right? I could just see them turning to me going, who is wert? And why did the seraphim fall down? And, 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 but if, if I could get him to church and it was, Jesus, he's my friend. But down, 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 right? I mean, they would find Jesus that way. Don't encourage me. I'm just saying <laughs> they would find Jesus that way. So a whole day at school, my mind is racing and I'm trying to figure it out. And at some point after lunch, I realized that there was no chance in heaven or hell that my church would allow a, even a band to play in the first place. Nothing but the organ and the piano, because obviously that's what they had at Jesus Church back in the day, right? And some of them probably really believed that. But if they did allow drums or a guitar in, we were certainly not doing a rock and roll song by the Doobie Brothers. And, and this was back at the time when modern Christian music was really non-existent at all. Amy Grant was in junior high, okay? I'm just saying. So it was a part of a greater frustration that I had with the church and its relevance to the world. And I knew that there was no real way to change it in the 70s, okay? It wasn't, my dad was the pastor. It wasn't their fault. There was no way to change it in the 70s. But I decided to go ahead and give my life to ministry and the local church and see what I could do about the 80s or the 90s or you know, the next millennium. Because I knew that someday I would have children and I wanted it to be different for them. And I knew that someday I would have grandchildren. And I wanted them to find a church where they could find the hope of Jesus and get help for living in whatever world that they lived in. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, not now, but someday, what if you could have a church where non-Christians walked in and felt like they were belonged there, you know, and they heard music and a message that they could actually relate to. And along the way, God brought me into contact with this dark-haired beauty named Denise who felt exactly the same way as me. Her church growing up would occasionally have at least special weekends and rallies that she could invite her friends to, but other than those times, she was still looking at an experience that was completely foreign to her friends. So we set out when we got married 38 and a half years ago with a mission. And if you're listening to me now, it has to do with the Doobie Brothers and their random song about Jesus. And God's grace to bring Denise into my life to do it with me. And yes, in case you're wondering, several years ago, the Parkview Band played Jesus is Just All Right with me, and it was a proud moment for me. And they promised to play it at my funeral uh, along with Freebird, okay? It has to, we have to have Freebird. And, and Brian Head Welsh from Corn has promised to play the guitar solo because I want the whole guitar solo at my funeral. Don't cut it off, okay? But guess what? I'm not dead yet. <laughs> but what I am is the old guy leading the church. And the young people in this church have never heard of the Doobie Brothers. 
Matter of fact, Lizzie, who's one of our student pastors and one of my daughter's good friends, I walked in and I showed her the shirt and she's like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> she's not a kid, she's a youth pastor, okay? They do not know that Michael McDonald is probably one of the great rock voices in history, am I right? He might as well be, you know, Wirt or Art or evermore to them, okay? So obviously, it's not about the type of music or the age of the person preaching. It's about the heart of our mission to our young people, and that's what we're talking about today. Several years ago, I wrote the book, What Made Jesus Mad, okay? And, and the premise of the book was based around Matthew 23, 13, which says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and he's saying, woe to you, religious leaders, you're shutting the door in the, of the kingdom in people's faces. And I honestly believe that this book was born on that ride to school in 1975. Because if Jesus was mad about blocking access to God, then why in the world were we forcing people to wear nice clothes and listen to organ music in order to get to God? And actually, one of the key times that Jesus was mad was about the way we block access to God to young people. Okay, people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place their hands, place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children and said, no, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Blocking access to God, there it is. Do not get in the way. And here's Mark's version. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, okay? He was ticked off. He was mad. And he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I don't think most churches take this seriously enough. I'm sure the disciples had good intentions. Jesus was in the middle of teaching about God when this happened, okay? But when the kids showed up, the disciples rebuked them. Go on now, kids. Jesus is busy. And Jesus got mad at them. This is the only time he doesn't get mad at the Pharisees and the tax collectors. He got mad at his disciples. And he followed it up in Matthew's gospel with this shocking statement. If anyone causes any of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Explain that to your kids. Jesus is literally saying it would be better for you to be stuffed in a barrel and thrown into Lake Mead where they won't find you till the next big drought. Have you seen those stories? Lake Mead is so low they're finding bodies down there now, okay? Mafia bodies. This is wild stuff, isn't it? This is what Jesus said. And if Lake Mead isn't bad enough, then he threatens them with angels. See to it that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels, possessive, their angels, your kids have an angel in heaven, always see the face of my Father in heaven. And I know you hear the word angel and you're thinking Cupid, but they got the message because they knew that angels were like Marvel superheroes, right? You didn't mess with them because we know this because every time an angel showed up, what was the angel's first message to the people that were there? Fear not. And why? Because angels were scary. They weren't toddlers in diapers. They were gangsta. You know what I'm talking about? So Jesus says, if you look down on one of these, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you would be better off drowning yourself 
Because if I send my angels, they're really going to mess you up. This is literally what Jesus is saying. It's really important to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying here. So what do we do with this? If any one of you causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone hung around their neck, okay? The key, forget about Lake Mead for a minute. The key to this passage is obviously Jesus is using an exaggeration here, but the key word is, hum, is to stumble. The, the word hinder is scandalizo. Literally, stumble, hinder is about blocking the way to God. This is about the deeper issue of a child's soul that Jesus is talking about, all right? This is not just about be nice to children. This is not just about make sure you take care of the needs of children. This is about the eternal souls of the children. So I wrote this in the book. We must be careful not to do anything that would damage a child's faith in a trustworthy God by being an untrustworthy guardian. And that's true for parents, obviously, but it's true for the broader Christian community. When Denise and I moved here, January of 1990, the church averaged 148 people in total weekend attendance. That was um, kids and everybody included. But the church was surprisingly young for being so small. There wasn't much of a student ministry. It was going to be a work in progress. But there were kids for what would be our kids to play with. Okay, our 35-year-old daughter now was two and a half, and Denise was pregnant with our middle one. So you know, we had a long time before this was ever going to be a problem, and we knew that God was calling us to this church. I mean, it was just it was just as plain as could be. But Denise and I made a commitment to each other that if the church hadn't grown to a place where we could have a good student ministry by the time our girls hit junior high, we were, gonna, we were gonna leave, go do something else, go to another church. Because we had done student ministry for seven years before we got here, and we knew how important it was gonna be to our kids, okay? And obviously that happened, okay? And I'm so grateful to the Mixons and the Anhalts and the Aiders, as well as the amazing kids ministry people who have poured their lives into my kids. We were determined to have a church that would not cause kids' faith to stumble, We wanted to have the opposite of the church that we had growing up. We wanted our girls to be able to invite their friends to come to church without cherubim and seraphim getting in the way. And they did. As a matter of fact, uh, some of them, like Lizzie, are on our staff now. That's really fun. And this principle is why I was in Kansas City for a convention one time, and I went by a stained glass shop, and I I saw this picture, and... I had to buy it, and it's at our Orlin campus now in the, in the kids' hallway because this, to me, is everything about this passage, and this, to me, is everything about who we're supposed to be and how Jesus wants us to act. So a couple of things I need you to know, all right? The church is not here to judge culture. We are here to love our culture because we're missionaries, all right? The, the Apostle Paul literally said, who are you to judge someone else's servant? And here's the the problem. As we live in an increasingly less Christian culture, we have to be very careful when it comes to tending the souls of our children. Because, Toto, we don't live in Kansas anymore. It's really the same issue as all the other issues in our day. If you think you know what it's like 
as a man to, to, to live in this world as a woman or vice versa. If you think you know what it's like to be white as a black person or vice versa, it, it, whatever it is that you think you understand what it's like to be a different person, you've lost your ability to love them because the main thing you've got to do is to be able to listen, all right? So the same thing is definitely true for our kids. We grew up in a different time. So, so we have abortion, we have student loan payback, we have gender confusion, universal health care, immigration, all of these issues, right? And, and some of these issues, many of these issues have definitive right and wrong answers from Scripture. But if TikTok is a higher authority than Scripture for them, we have to lead them and not preach to them, just like we would as missionaries in a culture that doesn't understand. And you may have some strong opinions, as do I. But if all I do is post an opinion on social media about what's right and how it's supposed to be, without understanding what's going on in their world, we run the risk of alienating them from their faith. Now, don't mishear me. Parents, you are charged with helping your children learn about what's right and wrong and about biblical values, and we as a church are too. It's just hard for young people to discern the information, and we need to be patient with them. You may think that some of the things that they're dealing with are really off the wall, okay? But remember that Jesus did not say, hey, Zacchaeus, Matthew, being a tax collector is really stupid. Why don't you stop that and come and follow me? That's not how it went. He didn't tell the woman at the well, dang, woman, why can't you stay married? I don't know why Jesus is Southern when he's, when he's, at, he's in Samaria. Dang, woman, why can't you, you stay married? And, and you're living with a man now. You need to repent and move out and then follow me. Jesus always met people where they were, and then he loved them into a relationship with the Father. I'm still processing all this, okay? But, but even the woman caught in the act of adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you now. Go leave your life of sin. Obviously, she knew what she was doing was wrong. We don't know if she was a prostitute or what. But he still loved her first. And I wish we knew the rest of the story. This is what I, I wish we knew. Because I'm like, well, what if she didn't leave her life of sin? And, and Jesus saw her later. Would he have said, hey, I warned you, you're still, you're, you're still doing it. Now I condemn you. Yeah, I, I doubt it. Or what if she didn't have any other way to make money or to be cared for? Did Jesus help her leave her life of sin? Because it's kind of hard to tell a prostitute to stop doing what they're doing without helping them find another way to pay their rent. That's who Jesus was. And what I'm saying is that our children are not growing up in a different time than we, we did. Our children are growing up on a different planet than we did. So we have to start by loving them. And this is why this is important to me. One of my great frustrations growing up was that the older generation didn't understand reality, right? And it would be easy for that to keep happening today now that I'm the older generation, my parents were great at it. Even though the church wasn't, they were great at it. They were very understanding of what it was like for me. But the church, not so much. You kids need to follow Jesus and stop dancing. 
I could have, I could have been Kevin Bacon, okay? <laughs> but my parents let me go. Because they, and, and please get the picture of me dancing just out of your head, because it's completely as bad as you would imagine. But I want to make sure that that's not what we're doing as a church, okay? We also want to acknowledge that your children, grandchildren are growing up in a weird time, okay? Um, we don't know what it's like to grow up with the whole world in your pocket, to have the news and the fake news and porn and social media. I don't even know what it's like to parent in that world. That's how old I am, okay? But I know who does. Our kids team and our student team, they get it. They're in the middle of it right now. And I know that if I was parenting today, the crazier the world got, the more I would lean into the Christian people who are equipped with the answers and the resources or at least an understanding ear. And hey, forget about the confusing deal with pronouns and what do you want to be called and furries who dress like animals and the fact that Illinois now has a law that menstrual products must be in the boys' bathrooms as well as the girls' bathrooms. Forget about that. I know you don't understand that and neither do I. But even without that, even without all of that stuff, your kids have not been in a regular year of school for the last three years. And the transitions and the graduations and the proms and the special moments and the first days and the extracurricular activities have not been normal. And I think it's just super important that we recognize that. That in a way, we all have PTSD. All of the social scientists are telling us that. Your kids have post-traumatic stress disorder about school and about life. Guys, we were forced to quarantine. We were shown pictures of mobile morgues in New York City. We probably all know people who died from COVID. My brother-in-law, Jack's mom, just died from COVID this last week. She was 89 and had other issues, but it's still a thing. I was in, I was in Missouri for a few days this week at a place where there was a cannabis growing convention. And I was playing golf with a pastor friend. And it was kind of slow, and we were at a par three waiting for the group in front of us to tee off, and the group behind us came up. It was a, a man and a woman. And the woman just walked up to me and offered me a hit off the doobie she was smoking. <laughs> I got to start wearing a collar or something. I, I felt like I was at Ridgemont High. You know what I'm talking about? But... <laughs> But the deal is, my first thought was not, uh, I don't smoke reefer. My first thought was, how high are you that you've forgotten that we don't share saliva? <laughs> we recognize that it's been very hard on everyone, but especially on those of you with kids at home. And honestly, um, it's what's forced both of my California girls to move to Tennessee. Uh, I, had, I had two daughters that lived in California. And um, they both have kids now, but at, at the time, the one, Lauren, had two kids at home, and they were in L.A. County, and man, it just was so shut down, and she kept looking at, at my other daughter's post from Franklin, Tennessee, and seeing how, how more normal life was there, and, and they finally just got to the point where they just couldn't take it anymore, and they decided to move there, and so Becca and Andy have decided to move there. And you know what, the blessing of California being so extreme and how they handled COVID is that all of my grandkids now live in the same 
subdivision, a one-hour Southwest flight away in the same time zone. Thank you, Governor Newsom. Thank you. Thank you. Just, just everybody has been affected by it, okay? And we want you to know that we want to help you. Uh, and I don't mean me, I mean people who know stuff. We found that the data says that people turn to Google before they turn to the church, okay? Here's the graph. We want you to talk with us, okay? Here's the graph. People will go to your spouse and your family and your friends. Yeah, that makes sense. And then Google and then online community and YouTube. And look at the church. This is where parents are going for help, and we've got to change that, okay? And, and, and in a lot of churches, I would feel the same way, but not this church. So stop by the areas at your, in your lobby that are marked with those large banners. The Next Gen team has people there who would love to connect with you even today. And one of our major objectives as a church in the next few years is to help parents we're going to be a multi-generational church that seeks to reach the next generation. Our kids and our grandkids, that's one of our major goals. So when you walked in, you got a, a parent hub bag, okay? This is a new research, <clears throat> sorry, new resource that our team is launching. And in the bag, there are these cards that are gonna tell you about an ebook that you can get because we wanna help you. And there's some cards that you can write on. And I'm gonna give you time at the end of the service to write how can we pray for your child and what are your hopes and dreams for your child. And there's probably only... There's two or three of them in there, so if you have more than three kids, you're going to have to pick the ones that need the most prayer and put them on there. We'll get you more cards, and they'll tell you what to do with them at the end, okay? But, but, but this is what we want to do to help you. We want to help you, all right? This is what we're going to be, this is going to be focused for us, okay? Because we want you to know that your child is, is the one. Matthew um, records Jesus doing this, and this is another key scripture for us as a church. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you, he will be happier about that one sheep that wandered off than the 99 that did not wander off. Now listen to this. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Little ones, right? We, I use this passage a whole lot of times, and I usually use Luke's version, and he doesn't use little ones. He just says, not willing that anyone should perish. But in Matthew's version, he includes it in the text about the mafia stuff and the angels and, and make sure the children come to me. This is the context of the passage about children, that, that they are the ones that we're supposed to be looking for and helping and guiding and for crying out loud, at least not getting in their way. And one more thing. Can I just remind you of this? I kind of passed over it earlier your child has an angel, all right? See to it that you do not look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you, again, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. In other words, there's an angel for your kid 
and I don't know, you know, the, the way of guardian angels has kind of gone the way of cartoon land. I get that. And I don't know if adults don't have guardian angels. You know, I, I, mine, I think, got tired and, and, and turned it over to a rookie because he's not doing a very good job anymore. But, but as a kid, we know this is really important. And, and here's, forget about angels or, or however it works. What, what I'm saying is, if you are a young person today, you are not alone. You have supernatural, Jesus says you have supernatural help available to you. And if you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, whatever, a friend, and you know kids, that child has an angel. Your child has a savior who is so serious about how important your child is that he used a very graphic mafia illustration about what might happen to anyone who messes with their soul. And that should tell you something. That should encourage you that, that children are that important to God. And obviously God is there for all of us. But there's something very special to him about kids. So we're going to give you some time. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to give you some reflection time. And, and I just want to encourage you to just do this during the time. Just write down how we can pray for your, your student. Write down how we can, how, what your hopes and dreams are. And we're going to give you a place to put them. And, and again, we'll give you more cards if you need more along the way. Because we're going to be praying for them. And we want to help you with them. And that's what this day is all about. And that's what our church is going to be all about. So I'm going to pray. I'll give you some time. We'll do this together, and then we'll sing. And someone from Next Gen is going to come out and lead us in communion. And I just want you to know I'm proud of this place. I'm proud of the team. I'm proud of who we are as a, as a grandfather of six now. I wish my grandkids went here. My oldest, Charlie, was here a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Papa, I love your church. It's my favorite church. I am so blessed to have had this place and you people to raise my kids. And now I'm hoping that other churches have that same feeling about my grandkids because I have them about yours. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my parents and, and their generation who did an amazing job of trying to do everything they could to make church be something that would minister to me. And, and it did. And I thank you for those ladies that had the flannel graphs and overhead projectors and, and all the little things that they did to try to make it so that I could learn about you because I did. And I thank you for those ladies and gentlemen that were the spiritual leaders in the church that prayed over me and in 1983 ordained me so that I could go do this. And I'm thankful for Parkview. And Lord, I recognize that this is a weird time. I recognize that we're all a little bit stress disorder, but we're going to work together because we have 
angels at our call. We have your power in our lives. And we have your hope. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a moment, fill out the cards.